You've tuned in to the Roundtable Dialogues number three, exploring the new oral tradition with Uvi Poznanski, Tom Barzak, Walter Rain, and Janet and Chris Morris. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison, and you've tuned in to a very different kind of episode for the Roundtable podcast. This is the Roundtable Dialogues. Now, on the Roundtable Dialogues, we gather together some remarkable visionaries to explore some aspect of the storyteller's craft. Now, by gathering these these diverse voices and unique perceptions, we hope to, to kindle a spark in the darkness and shed new light on the craft we love so very dearly. Uh, it's a lofty goal, friends, but we're going for it. Now, on this episode of the Roundtable Dialogues, we're going to be exploring the new oral tradition. I mean, between podcast fiction creators like the Escape Artist Podcast, the Drabblecast, Starship Sofa, and so many more, and the ascension of Audible.com and the, the prevalence and ease of access of the audiobook, the spoken word, the, the, the vocal storyteller has, has become ascendant in, in people that love stories. So, so with the help of some friends, I, I hope to explore what this new old format is and and how you as creators of tales or you as vocal performers can can get into this this world of storytelling with the voice in addition to the word now let me introduce you to our panel of guests for this round table dialogue uh first of all i'd like to introduce uvi poznanski now uvi is a california-based author poet and artist but she didn't start out that way her career credits include architect software engineer software team leader manager and consultant but as she excelled in those remarkable arenas she also wrote and painted constantly She's exhibited in Israel and California and taught art appreciation classes. Her versatile body of work can be seen online at uviart.com. And fret not, dear friends, there will be hyperlinks to all of this awesomeness in the liner notes at the website. Now, Uvi has published two children's books, Jess and Wiggle, and Now I Am Paper. Uh, and for each one of those, she actually created a very cool animation video. Uh, she's won great acclaim for her novel, Apart from Love, and for her poetry book, Home, in tribute to her father. Her collection of dark tales, Twisted, and her historical fiction book, A Favorite Son, are both New Age, biblically inspired books. And the first novels of her trilogy, The David Chronicles, and no, it's not about me, uh, have just been published, Rise to Power and A Peak at Bathsheba. Uh, Uvi, thank you so much for making the time and joining us this evening. It's my pleasure to be here. An honor to, to meet all these wonderful authors whose work I've read and appreciate. I feel very much the same way. This is like a gathering of, of friends that we haven't met yet. So let's let's continue around the table. Next on the list is Tom Barzak. Now, Tom is an artist and musician turned architect turned writer who finally got around to writing those stories he started dreaming of as a kid on his front porch. Now, his works include his beautifully illustrated epic fantasy novel, Veil of the Dragon, as well as Awakening Everun, Fall of the Chosen, and Wolfbane. 
He's also crafted short fiction, uh, some of which appeared in Terror by Gaslight, What Scares the Boogeyman, and two volumes of the award-winning Heroes in Hell series, Dreamers in Hell, and Poets in Hell. He writes because he can't not write, because it is the alchemy that will reconcile the world behind his eyes with the world before them, because he needs to tell the stories he started way before, through paintings, through poetry, and even before that, just sitting around a table with his friends slaying dragons. That's right, dear friends, our man Tom is a gamer. So, Tom Barsak, thank you so much for joining us for this roundtable discussion. Thanks so much for having me. It's a privilege. Absolutely. And I appreciate you representing the gamer crowd on that side of the table, dude. That's awesome. All right. Next, we have Walter Rain. Now, he's an iconoclast. And when given the choice between alternative and conventional, Walter will pick alternative every time. He got a degree in English literature because he wanted to write and figured he'd rather get it straight from the masters than have it filtered through some creative writing professor. Uh, He's managed Peruvian websites. He's written everything from travelogues to memoirs of his marathon running days and published novels with multiple presses, including Perseid Press. His most successful fantasy book to date has been The Reader of Acheron, published by Perseid Press in January of 2014. He's also the author of the well-reviewed humorous travel memoir, Beyond Berkey Fever. He blogs at Heroic Fantasy Writers and manages the accompanying Facebook group, which, by the way, has an open-door policy, and they're always eager to meet new writers and reviewers. So please, by all means, go check that out. Walter, thank you, sir, for making the time and and adding your unique perceptions to this discussion, man. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Next, we have Janet Morris. As a child raised on Marlowe and Shakespeare, Janet's literary DNA was tuned to sweeping classical tales. Later in life, frustrated by the lack of decent books to read, she decided to write her own. Now, originally intended for her own circle of friends, The High Couch of Solistra became the first of many contributions she's made to genre fiction's Library of Awesomeness. She contributed to Robert Asprin and Lynn Abbey's Thieves' World anthologies, but her character in those books, Tempest Thales, grew too big for the narrative. So she took him out of the sordid town of Sanctuary and continued his adventures in many novels, most recently The Sacred Band. She and her husband Chris founded Perseid Press and have edited 17 of the highly successful and utterly captivating Heroes in Hell anthologies. Janet, friend of the Roundtable podcast, thank you so much for making the time for us, ma'am. Oh, we're thankful, we're honored, and you gave me this evening with my dream panelists. I think this is just going to be fascinating. This is this is like uh, my Christmas present to you. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and and sitting beside Janet, we have Chris Morris. Chris Chris has always been about the voice and the story. Uh, He went from being a baritone in his school's glee club to the evil genius behind the Christopher Morris Band, whose first album, by the way, featured the legendary Tower of Power horn section. You're going to get your funk on with this dude. Now, it was during this time that he and his wife Janet evolved a highly effective collaboration process for developing lyrics. That process actually transferred very nicely to books as well, with Chris 
reading drafts aloud to explore the cadence and rhythm of Janet's prose. Now, together, they have crafted some magnificent works, and now Chris's love of storytelling is being pursued through book narration, first for Janet's novel, The Sacred Band, and currently for one of her favorite works, I, the Sun. Chris Morris, sir, thank you. As always, it's a pleasure to have you in, in the virtual roundtable studio, sir. Woof. <laughs> Woof, he says. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that said, uh, uh, our guests have been introduced. I'm, I'm going to kind of set the timer, but I'm, I'm inclined to think with this group of luminaries, I'll be ignoring it. Uh, but let's go ahead and roll into this. And I want to start the conversation. We'll start at the top. We'll, be, we'll start with you, but I want everyone's input on this. Um, stories are stories, one could argue, whether whether it's on the printed page or whether you're you're hearing it read to you. But as anyone who's listened to a story will tell you, there is something different about that process. And before we delve into the production and, and the recording and the this, that, and the other, I'd really like to explore and get your perceptions on what is the difference between experiencing a story on the printed page and hearing the story told to you by a, a skilled vocal narrator? I think when you listen to a story, when you hear the voice of a wonderful narrator bringing it, um, blowing life into the characters, um, you have a heightened sense of what the story is about and what is the persona of each character. Um, there's a famous book by Pierandello called Characters in Search of an Author, I think that the characters are always in search of a, of a voice. Um, and the contrast in, you know, in a dialogue, for example, between uh, two characters really gets heightened when um, a, a skilled um, actor or narrator um, gives it a voice. And also, um, I would like to compare it with another technology, which is a movie, because in a movie there's always someone between the author and the production and the acting, and that is the scriptwriter, who changes what the story is about and gives it another tilt. Here you have the advantage um, in, in an audiobook to hear the story just exactly as the imagination of the author has um, created it, because there's no, no word has changed between what's written on the page and how it comes out of the throat of your narrator. So that's a wonderful experience to just hear directly, you know, almost directly from the mind of the author through the voice of the narrator, um, the, the words that used to be a whisper on the, on the page um, get a certain volume and, and um, truthfulness to them. Absolutely. And, and, you're right. There is a, a, a translation that occurs when you go into film uh, uh, just because of the compression of the text uh, into into a two hour format. So so you're right. The 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 purity of the, the author's words are are expressed. Walter, is, is that consistent with your experience as well? Well, I'm, I'm glad you came to me. I, I immediately wanted to talk about this. The first thing when you sent me the email uh, about this topic the first thing that came to my mind, and not to be, and I don't intend to be combative with Uvi, but a, 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 a narrator is also a is a person interpreting your text. 
and it's not as radical, of course, to go to Uvi's point uh, as you know, converting a text from a novel to a screenplay. But somebody who, you know, line readings, if you ever watch actors, they can read lines 30, 40, 50 different ways. They can go all day reading one line. So I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a control freak. I think that's probably appropriate. <laughs> but uh, I, I would prefer, any day of the week, I would prefer to hear the original author reading a text than a, a narrator with a great voice. Um, and, you know, and I know that my voice isn't, you know, great for narrating a book. Somebody like Chris Morris for me is the ideal uh, person for this because he is a tremendous, uh, a tremendous reader. Indeed. But uh, no, I just think it's it's kind of interesting that that adds a third person. I mean, it's and it, it, Uvi's exactly right. It's not as radical as chopping a book up because a film is a is a radically different medium than an audio book. But an audio book remains an interpretation of the work. You're a th- you've got a third perspective in there, so. I think that's kind of an interesting thing to, th- to discuss. One could argue that, you know, in the reading of a book on the page, that the the reader is yep. interpreting as well. Yep. That, that the, the, the purity of vision stops as soon as the word gets typed on the page. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And then, but I I like always, it's me and the reader, you know, as, a, as an author, it's like, okay, I'm giving this to the reader. Maybe they'll like me, maybe they won't. Okay, so now if somebody listens to an audiobook, if they don't like it, maybe now I can blame the narrator <laughs> for an improper inflection. Or, there you or go. What, but if you have a, you know, if you have a, a combative narrator, I mean, obviously we're hoping that's not going to happen, but they could, you know, or if they just don't understand your work. You fire them. That could. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. what you hope for. That's I, right. It's funny. I, I, I have an audiobook. Ramalda did an audiobook of Beyond Berkey Fever. I haven't listened to it. I have to. I have to admit. I, Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't had any interest in listening to it. I, I, I was just maybe, maybe I would be pleasantly surprised if I threw it in. I have a hard time even reading. Once something I've done is published, I kind of stay away from it because I. I find myself grabbing my pen and fixing things and changing things, and it makes me crazy, sure. so I just let them go. Well, and friends, I, we, we didn't actually lay down any ground rules for, for the nature of this discussion. So, you know, it, first of all, contention is perfectly welcome. You know, disagree with each <laughs> other by all means. And, and second of all, uh, even if I haven't called your name to, to step forward, you know, Uvi, if you want to, you know, Get back and, and bitch slap Walter a little bit. Feel <laughs> feel <laughs> free. Was, I hope she didn't take that as a that wasn't really. No, a certainly not. I was just color, I was just coloring it. I was just trying no, to be very polite. I, I think it's wonderful really to to bring several points of points of view into this discussion. And indeed, if the interpretation is incorrect, then um, the author, you know, there's something wrong with the process a lot of times. But I think that if you make the initial um, choice of your narrator based on the audition and you feel really comfortable with them, I usually allow them their interpretation because sometimes it illuminates something that is suggested in your text but has not been heightened yet. Yep, I agree 100%. I think a good example, and you brought up movies before, was Peter Jackson's versions of the Lord of the Rings. You know, it, it, it well, it, it gave me some insights. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it that I don't agree with the direction he went in those films. A lot of it I really like, 
but some of it did clear up some stuff in Tolkien that I hadn't really seen. So there's there's a lot of different aspects. It's just it's another person's perspective on a book. Sure, you know, absolutely. Everybody gets everybody gets to, and it's oh, interpreting things is half the fun of it. Yeah. Well, let me maybe let me, more than half. Let me turn let me turn the mic over to Tom. Uh, Tom, now you have uh, uh, like Chris, you have a bit of a musician's background uh, coming at you from this. Had, had you? What is your experience with with listening? to audio books and did that influence your decision to move forward how how did that process work for you you know my whole coming into the into doing my first audio book was almost a fluke um i wasn't really planning on it i had a uh what did i need to do with being a musician i i was uh, listening to a, another author talk and he just happened to tell me about this whole uh audible and the exchange and everything else that he had just done it and uh he published a lot of books and uh and I thought I'd just go check it out, and it just kind of fell into place. And I, I started scrolling through the uh, narrators, and I, I found this gentleman's voice I just fell in love with. It's just he was perfect for my writing, and I just sent him an email and contacted him, and we started this conversation, and it just kind of turned out from there. Had you um, had you listened to audiobooks before? No, not much, hardly at all. Hardly really. At all. Thought that was people who didn't read listened to read, listened to audiobooks. So, the, <laughs> so so this was this was more of a, a marketing initiative on your part, necessary than a than a artistic one. It was, but I absolutely fell in love with the process of it, and 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 what it's done for me. My it's really been a collaborative thing, and and I love the conversation the way it's going. But you know, my first collaborative experience was actually it was it was I got contacted um, by an artist out of Australia who had read some of my work and wanted to do a narrative or a, a, a triptych he was doing and based it off of my, my narrative. And he was asking for permission to do this. And, and I got to see the work that he did. And it was exactly his vision of the words that I put on the page, but it was so much better if, if I could say that because it was his experience, his emotions, his passion put into this, but it was, it, I could, I could read my words in his painting. Wow, and, and it was just the most beautiful experience ever. And then, um, and with this collaborative effort with the audiobook, Neil Helligers was was my was my producer and narrator. And we had a couple we had a conversation of it was a total geek moment, but they had this wonderful conversation <laughs> about uh, culture and dialogue and and all these things that had only been in my head or on words on the page. And I'd read it out loud before, but. I'm talking about it like it's uh, uh, Middle Earth now with this guy, and, uh, <laughs> and it was just wonderful. And um, well, they they sounded kind of like this, and they and they looked kind of like this, and were given real world examples of, of linguistics, and and it really came to life for me. And what's happened? My own story came to life for me as I got to do this audiobook and, in a way that it never would have if I hadn't. So it really, for in your experience, it 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 transcended the page and turned the story into something more than just what you had initially put into it. Is that is that a, a fair Absolutely. assessment? Absolutely, it took it back to what I think and and uh, what I hear the conversation going. It took it back to the way the stories used to be, um, sitting around a fire, yeah, and, and telling the saga. And, and that's the way they were supposed to be. And then we started writing everything down. And <laughs> now we're coming back to this this beautiful medium. And, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's my experience has been nothing but positive with it. And I've fallen in love with it. 
Outstanding. Well, I, I, you know, clearly we we have gathered a group of people that all feel very much the same way. Now, Tom's work, Tom's work is especially lyrical too. I'd like to add, he's a he's a tremendous writer, but his work especially lends itself to being read out loud. Well, with the title like "The Veil of the Dragon," I mean that's that's incredibly rich and evocative just as a title. So I can only assume the 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 words behind it are are equally lyrical, lyrical and and resplendent. So, and I, I hopefully this this podcast will uh, send people in that direction to to find out whether or not I'm correct. It uh, really derives from the fact that as infants we learn to understand, interpret sound long before we learn to read, and and understand symbols in print, and our mothers' and fathers' voices, and eventually our own, become the storyteller. And we progress to more and more sophisticated tales, more sophisticated stories. I was when Uvi mentioned movies, I said, by gosh, it's the it's the duty of the narrator to get the imaginative engine of, of the listener started and going and seeing these images as they pour off the page. And once that's happening, the, the entire process then becomes a collaboration between uh, the writer, the voice, uh, the narrator, and, of course, the audience, who gives it more quality than any other facet of the, of the team. Um, it's one great advantage that I had was that in the early 70s, I began to train as a mind control instructor, and my my task was to induce large numbers of people who were in a relaxed position without putting them to sleep. So it meant that I had to become aware of their what we call chunking level, the, the rate at which they were able to intake and understand and image or imagine what the, the information they were hearing in words. And it became a fascination, which carried over into our editorial process. But essentially, any story is that spiral downward into the reality that is being created mutually by the writer, the the voice, and, of course, the audience. So it's a fascination, and it just gets deeper and deeper. Well, and it continues to be. I mean, reading and writing even even before we introduce the the narration into it is is a very active process a, a reader cannot just sit back and and passively consume a book they they engage they they picture they envision and and as you say chris that that narration then colors and infuses and deepens that experience and there, there's a reason why the old radio dramas were called theater of the mind uh, oh my gosh. because it yeah. really is you know it's a full cast production going on in your head i remember listening to soap operas with my mom on the radio as a kid and i was just as deeply involved as the ladies uh, it's it's a 
it's a wonderful experience. Draws you right in. We're actually being forced to this medium once more because there is so much competition for our eyes these days. That's true. And, and you know, that's the other beauty of the audiobook. Just from a purely practical standpoint, uh, I, I can take my 45-minute commute and, and transform it from an exercise in frustration mm. <laughs> into a transcendent experience. You bet. <laughs> Janet, yeah. uh, uh, what, what's what's your what's your perspective on the topic so far? Um, I'm really liking what everybody has to say. I do want to remind us all that most of us heard as one of the first things we ever heard the statement that in the beginning there was the word, and the word is the beginning of our tradition. The magic of words is that they can create pictures in other people's minds. That's the thing that fiction can do that nothing else can do. And in a novel or a story form, you get to create the whole scene, the emotional, physical, tactile reality of the story, and control it. It's not, I mean, when, when Shakespeare wrote those plays, they can be set in New York City, or they can be set in ancient Greece, or they can be set in a medieval setting, and it doesn't affect the story because of what he chose to write and what he chose to leave out. But a novelist puts everything, they put their vision. I can see when I'm writing 360 degrees around and when I stop writing, I can't imagine what happened. Where did all that visual go? Um, <laughs> but when we started with the audiobook interest, um, Chris had already been a um, voice of a uh, Fox TV station for, um, and had done other voiceovers. But when we heard of ACX and their deal, that they offered, which was very simple, and the contracting wasn't a problem. It was clear that I wanted to do it, and I picked a couple of short pieces to start with and hired somebody I thought would be really good, um, who was an experienced actor, also the, the son-in-law of Roy Dutrice, who's another experienced voice actor, and his father played uh, Colonel Pickering in My Fair Lady. So he came from a British literary um, vocal family, and he actually was very patient with us, and he would send us the stuff that he'd done on such and such days, and we would ask questions and make changes and say, no, that's not how you pronounce that. And he would come back and say, <laughs> how do you want this guy to sound? You know, name that, uh, match up your characters with famous actors and actresses, and I can give you similar voicings and he's very capable and um, so we did timestamp by timestamp through these two um, short audiobooks Wake of the Riddler and um, Mage Blood with him and I really love them and um, Chris was by that time getting interested because I didn't <laughs> want to push it on him well, you know, I mean, he's read these books so many times, but what we came away with was that I was always surprised at what Hyde White, it's Alex Hyde White, did. And so then we hired an, a different guy to see what the difference would be. His name was David Cudler, and then he he also did something for Ubi. And David Cudler also had a Shakespearean training and a, a lot of range and could do a lot of accents and did a very active version of one of the um, iconic Tempest short stories. 
And after that, we kind of sat back and we said, you know, these are really wonderful, but the interpretation is further from us than I'd want it to be for something like the Sacred Band, the big book. So I said, Chris, why don't you do it? And after a little foot shuffling, because, you know, he and I are both perfectionists and the two of us on any one project means it's going to take a while. Um, so and he said he would. And um, we I believe we did the Sacred Band twice, top to, top to bottom. Wow. Before we got <laughs> one we were happy with. And we, of course, have a multi-track. Well. And that's interesting because, you know, as Walter pointed out, the, 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 the person that knows the story and can in, interpret the story the truest to the author's intent is the author. Yeah. But it's such a rare thing to actually have an author or, or in this case, the author's editor and husband <laughs> actually be on hand or be capable of, of creating a, a soothing, evocative vocal space for the telling of that story that for, for those of you who, who don't uh, read your own stories, which I guess is pretty much everybody else. <laughs> uh, how, how do you, how do you deal with, with the, bridging that gap of interpretation, inflection and expression? Well, it's interesting. The, um, I don't know if it's my turn. Um, do, <laughs> doing it together for us is not much different than reading editorial draft because He'll change lines, uh, move paragraphs around, um, suggest new lines, paragraphs, activities. Um, so it is really similar for us to the writing process, except if it starts to sleep or somebody outside in the neighbor's yard starts a, a leaf blower, you're dead. <laughs> you're done. So you have to think of it as a, a chance to perfect how you heard it if the writer is doing it how you heard it. And then other people may evaluate it and change it later, but we have it the way we want it, which is just one. Sure. Well, and Uvi, I know you, uh, you used, uh, was it David Calder, uh, in, in one of your stories. Is that correct? In two of them, actually. He, uh, he okay. did a favorite son, which is a short story for me. And then he did my novel, um, apart from love, which is a dual narration, uh, project. And um, I had to find, it's a, a little bit like casting in a movie. Um, I had to find his voice, of course, the voice of Ben in the story. And uh, opposite him, the voice of Anita, um, for whom I chose Heather Jane Hogan. And the wonderful contrast between the two really is what the story relies upon. Um, because um, the, the first time that I heard her audition, um, I knew that it wasn't a performance for her. She was the character. With Cadler, he has a thousand voices in his throat. He can do, <laughs> um, you know, so many accents. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. But with her, of course, she can do accents and, and she can do different voices, but she just took to this character like a duck takes to water. And I just loved her voice and, and the contrast between them. And I just wanted to say um, a little something about creative collaboration, because this is what it's all about. And the way that um, the Morrises, um, Chris and Janet work is a wonderful example of how um, different arts combine together to give you a higher um, experience. 
you know, in my own life, I am an artist and a poet and a writer. And all of these aspects really um, cross-pollinate each other. Uh, you know, I often say that I write with a paintbrush and I paint images with my writing, with words. Mm -hmm. And when you bring a voice into that, you have such a wonderful opportunity. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, um, the, the inspiration that you get from somebody else interpreting your text, which I agree, sometimes it, it has a little distance from where you have in, envisioned it, but sometimes it, it explores it to a different direction that you have not imagined it before. And that's the wonderful thing about it. Absolutely. And the beauty of collaboration in general is is introducing new visions to, to something that has been very intimate and personal for so very long. Right. So now Tom gave us some some insights into his experience. Walter, what was your experience with, with selecting a, a, a narrator for your work? Oh, mine mine went exclusively through Romalda. They did, uh, they did that. So maybe that's why I was uh, a little leery of the whole project because uh, it was my former publisher that handled it. I was kind of out of the loop. But I, I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's always... As a writer, there's always what you as the writer intend, and then there's what the work actually is. Those are two separate things. It, it, once it's out of your hands, once you're done with it, you know, it's it's its own thing. I think uh, uh, something that's similar that would give people an idea is, uh, well, <laughs> and this might sound funny, but it's your it's your children. And your children always... Your children always, the first thing they reflect from your behavior are your worst habits. So, <laughs> and this is, this is a, a book is very much like this. It's a mirror of all, you know, when people start talking about it, you're like, okay, yes, that's in there and that's a bad thing about me. And I mean, you see this with your kids. You're like, okay, they're doing this and they learn that from me. So I have to change that behavior. So maybe... Maybe you guys are all just a little bit further along. You guys are all are. <laughs> you're, you're all happy to. You've got these problems worked out. Where I'm still, uh, I'm still in the process. Maybe. Well, let me let me ask. Uh, it, in this gathered assemblage, uh, we have a, a wide range of creative expression. One thing I'm not sure about does is anybody that's on the mic right now uh, have any theater experience? Any any trotting of the boards? No. Ooh, no, the silence stretches. Dramatic, that's about it. <laughs> okay. See, now that's that's interesting to me because you know we talk about audiobooks being this this resurgence of the oral tradition. And Tom, you you had invoked the storyteller around the fire, which of course is is where you know those first stories that that sustained and and captured a, a person's imagination were told. But those were transient events when the story was told. All that was left was the echoes that, that caught in people's minds and hearts. Theater is is very much the same way. You know, a theater production, no matter how grand, you know, once the show closes, the stage is gone. The costumes are packed. The actors are off to other things. That event is no longer preserved. And I find it interesting that before stories shared that quality with theater, but now with digital uh, pre preservation and reproduction and, and distribution, uh, that's not an issue anymore. In fact, our, our words as they're preserved uh, sustain exactly as they were. Do you think that's, is that a good thing? I, I remember, it's in the kind of a segue, but I remember walking out of Star Wars in 1970, whatever it was, when it first came out. And I was probably 12. And, and every time I heard the theme song, 
I would grin uncontrollably from ear to ear uh, and, and wait three years for the next movie. There was no online pulling up the instant, the, the videos for, you know, everybody's version of it. And it was just in your memory and it was in the emotions and that's what you took away with you. So the story very much lives on once you hear it. I, I think that in general, um, I, I, a lot of times people ask me, give me um, your best advice for writing. And I always say the same thing. Writing must be tested by reading out loud. And the, the wider the audience for that, the better, because you get echoes from your audience um, that you cannot imagine it just looking at the, at the words on the page. A lot of, I see a lot of writers who um, write complex sentences that can't even be pronounced. You know, why? Yeah, because yeah. they have not tested it through yeah, reading yeah. it aloud and making sure that it, it adheres to the cadences, to the rhythms of natural voice. I knew I liked mm -hmm. you. Yeah, rhythm is <laughs> uh, there's a, this is not such a new thing. In fact, it's a very old thing. The tradition of the troubadour and the singer used to be itinerants who would travel from community to community who had tremendous repertoires of memorized material which they recited and people learned therefore and then children would even study under this person as long as he was resident and continue it in their community. So again, uh, Fahrenheit 451 was the same story. Uh, people who became books in order to preserve literature, and that was a one. I, yeah, it I went really, the other way to begin with. You know, the epic poets. You learn, you memorize the fifteen thousand how many lines of the Iliad, or you got the seven thousand lines of um, Euripides, and you you memorize them. And before they were written down, they were memorized, and then in being spoken, like the playwrights process they would get smoothed out. But writing rhythmically is really, for us, the key, and we need the, a narrator that recognizes that and reads with that kind of scope. But I think that, for me, it goes all the way back to not just my parents reading to me adult material at night, but way back when children's records were read and translucent. Um, <laughs> it was just in the very early days of phonographs. Um, my parents bought a record of Burl Ives telling children's stories, Burl Ives and his guitar. And rather than having to read to me, they would put that on, turn the light out, and Burl Ives would tell me stories at night. Johnny Alfred <laughs> and all those. That's the way to live, baby, yeah. right there. And, but <laughs> all those things made us what we are. And for me, I hear it so clearly in my head. I, and those of you who read my stuff know I feel, hear, taste, and touch everything in my stories. That I want that more tactile experience. I mean, a, t a movie would be great, but that's only what the characters see. Shakespeare was the guy who cracked the code on what the characters think. But movies don't do that. They don't give you the internal perspective. They don't stop for soliloquies. Um, and here, if you're writing it and you have the right narrator, and I've loved, if you read the, uh, if you were to audiobook listen to the different voices um, that we chose, you'll see what's similar about them. And 
Uli has a similarity in what she has chosen to, I haven't heard Walter's, um, to what um, Tom has chosen. And we're all looking for narrators who become the piece, not make the piece them. Well, that's intriguing. So, so basically, you know, as as the author, as the creator of the tale, you're actually continuing the telling of the tale and and making an artistic choice in terms of your choice of narrator. That's fascinating. Oh, Absolutely, God, yes. yeah. I love that. Well, let me let me ask you this then, with with the advent and and the inevitability almost uh, of of your works, your written works, your stories being translated into this audio format. Uh, uh, do you think or feel that you, that it's changed your writing, that you're maybe actually writing for the spoken word more so than perhaps you were before this, this audio format was, was so readily available? I'm a little more uh, demanding of the draft, yeah. Okay. Uvi okay. already said it. She said that uh, good prose is tested by speaking. Yeah. And if it lives on your breath, then it will live in print. You can That's bet on it. Yeah. And I can tell you that each chapter of each book that I have written, um, I read it aloud in front of an, a small audience, like 20 people or so, just to see how they react. Um, we have a, a group of authors who take turns reading. Each one reads a chapter from his or her work. And I know <laughs> this is something that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, with every other piece that is being read in that group, people um, roll in laughter or uh, joke or cry or whatever. With my piece, there's always silence at the end of the chapter. <laughs> people just go inside of themselves. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> but that's the greatest yeah. um, tribute is silence at the end because they're they're trying to come back to hear from where you took them yes yeah. it's as if we're trying to make us all disappear sure that's that's the goal i think of every every storyteller oh, uh, to to yeah. to to banish the world around and, and transport you now tom your first experience uh, your discovery of of this this awesome fabulous thing with with uh, veil of the dragon uh, that was that was your first real real step into this world have you found that as you continue to write that you're you're hearing more and you're you're aligning yourself more towards an auditory format? Absolutely. Um, it's funny because I'm, I'm finishing up the, the second book of the series, uh, the follow-up to Bill the Dragon right now. And I had a draft I just finished up and, and then I got to sit down and listen to the audio book of the first book. <laughs> and it completely changed how I saw the second book that I was currently trying to finish up. Can you articulate how? It just got deeper and it got richer. And I had to go back through this second story again and, and fall into it deeper. I, had, I hadn't gone into it deep enough once I listened to it yeah. the yeah. first time. And it, it really made an impact on me. So, so your de your descriptions then become more more eloquent, uh, more verbose, maybe. Um, I could just sink deeper into the characters. I think I could sink deeper into the characters. And it was funny with my narrator, with with Neil Helligers. Um, there's one character I have, and 
in my mind, he, his name was always just Alhonar. And, and, and Neil, and it's one, I guess one of the names that skipped through our little dialogue that we had, slipped through the cracks, but he gave it a completely different um, enunciation. And uh, he's Alhuanar. And, and he completely changed <laughs> how I saw this character. And telling this one character, it's got so much deeper and so much richer. Um, just with a name. I, wow. Yeah, just with a name. And um, so, yeah, it's been an amazing process. And, uh, and, and I want to do a lot more of them. I want to go back and do all my short stories. And I want to, you know, yeah, I absolutely want to keep doing it. <laughs> and want- the funny thing is they're doing a lot more of them now. We haven't really talked about much, but there are, I couldn't quote you any names, but I've read several articles lately of authors who are only doing an audiobook version. Wow. It never sees print. It's only spoken word. I've seen that from straight to audio. I hadn't heard that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, given how much time it takes, if you, we're looking to produce audiobooks that sync to the print, which is a, the whisper sync. Yeah. ACX whisper sync function. And that means that every single word that is spoken has to be the same as that device understands the word to be written. And I think it's like 98% correct. So, you know, that means that's a lot of sitting down and every time you hear a mouth click or every time you hear, I mean, David Cuddler called one of the characters Kadakathis and we'd always called him Kadakathis. And we thought, well, we didn't tell him and it's not exactly wrong. So <laughs> in his version of that, the character's name is pronounced differently because we didn't want to go back and do a whole other path and that much change for that one thing. But that's another thing is if you have to agree, you have to send a pronunciation list. Sure. To the guy reading it. Especially um, with genre fiction. Cause, cause you don't have Bob and Steve uh, uh, wandering <laughs> through the streets of, of Maladopolis. That yeah, right. that doesn't happen now, Walter. You're you're the iconoclast of this group, <laughs> uh, and clearly you're you're sustaining that that exalted station. Uh, uh, what's your what's your take on all of this? Is any of this uh, uh, resonating with you? What's what's your perspective? Oh. Well, my perspective is I've been reading all my books out loud now because I'm afraid of Janet when she starts editing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I say that with affection, but it's really I she's been. A, <laughs> she's been a she's been a big influence, and she's helped me see a lot of things. And it's just it, it. And I didn't used to do that, and and now I, for the last couple of books I've written, I have been sitting. And you find yourself. I mean, my kids, my kids are at home with me, so they'll sit there and I'll sit there and read the same passage over and over and over. And I, you know, sometimes you know you get down to you're working on a page, you're down to paragraph six, and you can't get that one right. So you go back again to paragraph one, and I'll read it a whole thing and read it a whole thing. And then, and then this last book that I'm doing with, with Janet is the, it is the first book, uh, you know, I've, I'm publishing where I'm really satisfied with the result where I'm not normally, you know, I've sent off the final manuscript and there's two or three little things that are just kind of nagging and you're like, well, I hope they're not problems, but you kind of deep down, you know, they are. And this is the first time where I really feel like we've solved all the issues and I, I attribute, uh-huh. you know, reading everything out loud to that. Tell them what the book is. Yeah, please. Oh, my book. Well, this is a, it's a. It's an interesting deal. This is my book. It's a series of, it's all the best stories of the 10 years from when I lived in Peru. So it's kind of one of those episodic type books where I, you know, you're picking things up and, the, you know, and, and it's, well, it's nonfiction, but it's been kind of, the, the stories are exaggerated. So it becomes a little bit, 
like a fiction piece. So it's kind of a, it's, I'm kind of hard, having a hard time figuring out what the genre is, but uh, <laughs> a secondary but, consideration. Don't worry. Yeah, about it. But, but, but when I sent it to Janet in, in, she, her comments helped me really come together within myself about what the actual, there's always an overarching theme. And I thought I had it figured out when I sent it to her. And I realized after I was reading through her comments that I didn't have that figured out. And again, that, that fits into what we were talking about before where, you know, your kids are this reflection of you that's maybe not the best part of you. That's everybody always picks up your bad habits first. And this is if you're a student. I mean, if you're I mean, if you're a teacher, your students are going to reflect the worst of you. You know, it just that stuff happens. So it's good to give your book to somebody, have them say, look, this is the bad stuff. Then you can then you can work it out. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I feel really a lot better about how this book turned out, being able to eliminate some of those things, even though that's a tough process. But it's good to, you know, pass through to get get to a better place. Not really an ogre, but he asked me, so I told <laughs> yeah. him. Well, well, I can tell you, Walter, the, the that experience is shared I, by every person that's that's workshopped a story with Janet on the roundtable as yeah. well. She's good well, at, she's, at finding that theme. Well, that's the thing, and I wouldn't, it's not something I'd sit there and put up with if Janet didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah, that's, she's got the that's chops. That's the other side. She's got nope, the yep, chops. Absolutely. It's a privilege to have her sit there and look through your stuff. Oddly enough, I think you have the soul of a raconteur, yeah. Walter. I really do. <laughs> I think what he does is it's um, sorts it's fictionalized biography. This particular book, which is a tricky form, you have to keep the uh, narrative voice pure. But he wrote it over so many different years that what he thought about things changed, and what we picked up and really tried to fix was to get the narrator speaking from his now position of knowledge and yet bring the reader up through the learning process that the book represents. And that's not simple. Yeah. Um, you I, know, I it's become a much my more, character. It's a much more complex book now than it was before because it treats the evolution of the character through the, through 10 years. Was part of that discovery uh, made through that, that, that vocal exploration of the text? For me, absolutely. There was there was time I was I find I, I started working with rhyme a little bit more. Oh, you, you I mean that becomes you can kind of that's a good way to add emphasis to a little point you're trying to make. You, you know, make it you know just a couple lines, put a couple lines of poetry in there. People won't even notice. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I mean they won't notice it consciously. They'll notice it subconsciously. Sure, their their that, brain that, will that, pick up on that, and and there'll be something yeah. pleasing about that paragraph. And that's what you're trying to convey. And sure. just a lot of little things like that. But the it just smooths everything out. It makes your writing more precise, um, you know, less wasted, sure. wasted words. Janet gave you a rather polite account of our first encounter with someone else reading our stuff. And <laughs> it was all I could it was all I could do to keep from crawling through the speaker. <laughs> and and throttling. Throttling this <laughs> voice actor. That's, uh, that's not going they're to They're wonderful, well-meaning, talented people, but a comma is a comma, thank you very much. <laughs> a stage it direction means, for a narrator. Oh, I'm oh. not the only control freak here. <laughs> and every English sentence is an equation. Thank you very much. True that. True that. Now, of course, those weren't the people we end up, ended up with, but there is, you know, I have to, I write with a, a rhythm, and sometimes I got everything, but I need another beat. Or I needed another pause to be the equivalent of a, a rest in music. And 
So we put those things in. And one of the wonderful things about audible.com is that it has speed control with no pitch variance. So if they want to hear it at 1.5 normal speed, they can do that. It doesn't sound like Mickey Mouse is reading to them. It's just and if they want Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. if they want a slower tempo, they can slow it down, which I think is terrific. I just, I'm, I'm using somebody else, a third person that we haven't used before for um, Lawyers in Hell, which is a, a group of writers, 20 writers, all writing stories in the same theme. And just, she finally today, she sent her first 15 minutes with lots of qualifiers. Well, let me know if it's too fast. <laughs> let me know if it's too slow. Let me know if it's the way you want it. And, <laughs> so your reputation um, precedes you, Janet. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, once she relaxes, she's actually, she does a wonderful job. I We have a, you would say it's a demon. We say it's one of the original inhabitants of hell. But we have an eight-year-old one. And um, he is his mentor and he are having a conversation. And it is just hysterical to, to hear somebody read it who treats him like a child. Um, a lot of what we do when we narrate, we want to keep the narrator's part of this supportive of the words, but not alchemizing them, you know, not changing mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. too much. Sure. And some people like a lot of um, sound effects and music and um, a lot of different voices that are, are very broad but for example i the sun is a first person narrative the guy's an ancient king he's not going to use a squeaky voice when he talks when his son (laughs) says something to him you know and he's going to tell you that so there's a lot of room in audiobook if you could you could add something you think needs to be there if you were going to write a book like um tom is doing knows he's going to use a narrator might adapt to that narrator because he really likes them. My Chris is my narrator, so it's no different than my normal process. <laughs> sure. Well, let me let me dial back just for a moment uh, to pick up the thread that the Walter laid down with the notion of poetry. Now, Uvi, you've you've written volumes of poetry and and are known for some of your poetic works. Do you find that that again? looking at it from from the narrator perspective and, and the discoveries that you've made uh, about the power of the vocal element in your works, is, is that one of the tools that you leverage to to bring out and, and transform the text into something a bit more vocally uh, warm and welcoming? Um, I think that poetry in general has a way of unlocking the heart. A lot of times I use poetry um, for example, Janet has been to one of my Facebook events for audiobook authors, and the entire script for the event, especially for for the last hour, the grand finale, is written in rhyme because people, I, I find, really respond to that. You know, um, otherwise, you know, they come, they see, they're bored, they leave. But when... There's a, an interplay with author after author after author coming and greeting them, um, the readers and the listeners, in rhyme. There's something about that that really opens the door. And it goes to um, creating rhythms in writing in general. Um, uh, going back to your question before, if the process of producing audi- audiobooks has changed uh, my style of writing, my style of writing really is really very central anyways. 
Um, I, I like to put you in the skin of the character so that you feel everything that the character smells or sees or hears. So when I work with, with narrators, I really am looking for what is their hidden talent in this. For example, one of my narrators, David George, who has done my first book in the trilogy uh, called Rise to Power, I found out after working with him for a while, he has a majestic voice, which I looked for, for King David, but he, he is also a wonderful whisperer. Mm. So I started writing a little bit more. I adjusted my writing so that there's more whispering <laughs> in the story. <laughs> You're play, my, playing to the instrument, as it were. Yeah, exactly. You want to use the instrument that you have. And my narrator for a peak at Bathsheba, his name is Justin, Ju Justin Harmer. He is a vocalist. He is like an opera singer. He is absolutely great. He's, he has a resonant, resonant um, explosive voice. So for him, I, I like to um, use his instrument and I allow him to, um, for, for example, when David, my character, um, brings in psalms from the Bible in order to illustrate a particular moment in his story. Um, I'm all for it if, if my narrator starts singing it because it's natural for him, because it elevates the words into a musical realm that, is, that hovers even higher above the text. And that wouldn't be something that necessarily a reader would intuitively infuse into those passages in the written text. That's beautiful. Yeah. In Veil the Dragon, I've got a couple, there's a couple of songs in there. It's in, and they're marching songs, they're walking songs, they're chanting. And, and, and I remember when I used to read Tolkien, the little songs, you read them and you sang them. And, and so as we started doing the narration, uh, the narrator, he sang the songs. Wow. And he, multiple voices singing so it was just the most beautiful thing now did he come up with the tune or did you provide that for him um well there's one song and the only direction i gave him was i i, I re repeated the lyrics for under misty mountains cold from the hobbit and and so he kind of knew the feel of that and so he came up with this beautiful sounding marching sad lament um, which kind of was already laid out, but I didn't tell him the melody. He made it up, and it was just perfect. One of the writers we know on our Heroic Fantasy page, Chaos Peace, she uh, releases... I know she's gotten a lot of... She's released some songs that started out as singles, that started out uh, as songs in her novels. Oh, wow. Which is just, which is just another nice marketing uh, technique. Sure, and and she's also great. a broadening of the, of, the, of the literary experience for people familiar with her works. Oh yeah. That's well, awesome. the more the more ways you can get eyes on the page, the better. Roger that. Absolutely. Well, friends, uh, <laughs> there's clearly more to discuss on this, but I'm I'm watching the clock tick down. So so what I'd like to do is take one last turn around the the panelist table, as it were, uh, uh, and if you would uh, compose some thoughts. There are a lot of people that are going to be listening to this that uh, uh, either have just started contemplating bringing their books to audio or have done it and have experienced maybe some problems with it uh, or or want 
want to and have no idea how to dive into it and what the possible pitfalls and celebrations might be. So so let's go once around the table to wrap up uh, and just articulate, if you would, some some of your insights, some of your wisdom that you've gleaned from your experiences uh, with this unique aspect of the storytelling art form and and give them some some. I don't know, auditory gold, literary gold is what we go for normally on the podcast, but I guess this would be like a production or auditory gold for our listeners. Uh, Uvi, I'd like to start with you if I could. Uh, what, what advice do you have for people that want to bring their stories into the auditory realm? Um, well, the first thing is to write for the ear. Um, yeah. You have to read your stories aloud um, to yourself, first of all, and then in front of an audience before you um, go and engage, a, a, you know, an actor or a narrator um, and start the process. Because, um, you know, th- th- there are select few authors that have brought their, um, their work into the audiobook world. Um, no, most of the authors have not either have not tried it or have not been successful in bringing such a project to fruition because there's more to it. It, You know, it's, it's working with another person. Um, You have to find the right person, the right voice. You have to rely on that person to come in at the timeframe that he um, agreed to. And uh, I have all the respect for narrators and I, uh, on my blog, I always feature uh, those who have worked for me and let them talk about their craft. That's excellent. That that and as a narrator, I thank you for that because it, <laughs> we really are the collaborators in that process. That's awesome, Tom. What about you? Uh, uh, advice for for the the novice. Uh, uh, Auditor, auditor? No, that wouldn't be it. Uh, advice for the for the for the author who's new to the auditory realm. Well, my my only experience is with ACX and Audible, and I think as far as just making a recommendation, I, I, I there where I would go again. My experience has only been good. Um, take your. I mean, I, I echo what Ubi said. I think you have to write so the words can be heard first of all. But then once you go up there, um, take your time, listen, do your research up front. Um, listen, not to just someone who's technically good, but listen to someone who can capture the soul of your work. This is your book that you're going to entrust to them. So really find someone who can capture the soul of your work, the music of your words. And then once you do that, you know, again, Take your time, get to know what they do, do research their work. And when you're comfortable and if you have a and you can come upon a relationship with these people, then I trust the process. Let them bring their skill set that they have to bear. Um, uh, and uh, let them do what they do best. You're hiring an actor to act a part of words that you put down on page. So I mean, there are certain parameters I gave uh, Neil and we discussed and and, but also I knew there's a certain amount. I'm, I'm asking someone to be creative. So I had to let them be creative to some extent. Okay. And, 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 and my experience of that was only good because I knew what he could do with that. I knew what he would do with those words. And so I let him do what I knew he would do best. 
if I tried to micromanage everything about it, I probably would have made it worse. <laughs> well, and let me let me just interject a quick question into this final wrap up uh, because you actually raised a good point. Uh, on ACX, you get to pick the piece that the the prospective narrators will read as part of their audition. How do you pick the piece that defines the soul of your work? <clears throat> well, uh, hopefully that soul is in all of it. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it was just I, the opening part of my book was, was, was my part that I sent to him, just the first, you know, uh, 15 minutes of my book, okay. first 30 pages or so. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's what captures you. Yeah, that's the part you're going to grab the reader with. And that's the part he's going to grab you with, or she's going to grab you with. Excellent point. Those opening pages would be the most riveting and arresting, uh, uh, and plant the seed of the soul of that story. That makes perfect sense. Uh, what about you, Walter? Uh, uh, how what what advice do you have for for people moving into this realm? Yeah, um, I think to get to what we were saying before, we were talking about what endures, you know, after the stage, you know, after the lights have gone down. And I think uh, with my writing, I find you know you'll write a four hundred page book, and a lot of the those four hundred pages are just preparing the readers for a paragraph or two that I really want to <laughs> say. I mean, there's, there's, there's a pretty essential part that you're trying to convey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, uh, so I think that's something to keep in mind as you relinquish some of this control to another artist who, who, you know, helps make, you know, make your work available to other people that the part that endures is maybe smaller than the, the entire thing. And, uh, you know, and 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 I guess I would also say don't don't be ashamed to take credit if the uh, if the narrator reveals a greater depth to your work than you realized was there. I mean, that'd be that's what we hope for. Use the experience by all means. Awesome, Janet. What about you? You've got some experience under this. What what's your advice uh, to people entering the audiobook field? I think I actually would echo some of the ACX advice. And that is don't feel that you have to do sound effects and music and complicated poetry. What you have to do is get what the book already is in shape that you believe that it complements rather than decrements your work. And um, you can find lots of, if you're, if you're a writer who'd like to do this, there's a whole stable of producer narrators on ACX that you can listen to. They all have sample editions of auditions up there what we did when you know when we chose the piece for the audition itunes wants the first seven minutes of the story no variation mm. that's what they 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 insist on that's that. what they put up as a that's sample. what they put up as a sample um acx and amazon let you choose what you want and it really should be the beginning of a section or chapter or a line drop a section that you think will attract the reader to want to read more and the listener to want to hear more because these are the books that all of us are, are putting this much additional effort into are our favorite ones, not the ones we don't care about. So, you know, it's the sacred band. It's I, the sun, it's wake of the Riddler. It's, um, mage blood. It's, uh, a man and his God, these are really strong. I mean, some of those titles have been perennial sellers for 20, 30 years. Some are brand new. And Chris has just done um, Shards of the Glass Slipper. 
For Roy Morrison, I just did his book, Shards of the Glass Slipper, Queen Cinder. Mm. And uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful different. degradation and distortion and exaggeration of a lot of popular fairy tales. And I, I loved it because it was just like a playground for me to get to learn more about my craft. But the, the highest octave of rapport is intimacy. And if you can accomplish that in any way, shape, or form, stick with it, go with it. I always have some vaunted idea of how I'm going to perform this work, you know, to live up to its potential and to increase it and to do this and that. And once I'm in a page or two, I have disappeared <laughs> and the characters are in full control if it's going well. If it's not, it's time to start over. Sure. You but can't force sucks. honesty. No, no you can't. Be. Verisimilitude, absolutely. So, God, good advice all the way around. Uh, Chris, did you have anything to add for the for the for the yes. novice? Please, if you're a writer, try it yourself. Learn a little bit about what you are asking your narrator to do. You know, this is your work, and often you will find that you bring something to your own work that a narrator will greatly value as guidance, if nothing else. And uh, possibly you are the best voice for your work. Outstanding. <laughs> well, friends, there, there you have it. Uh, 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 an hour of, of discourse and exploration of the new oral tradition and, and the, the nuances and subtleties and pitfalls and celebrations thereof. This has been marvelous, and I want to thank all of my panelists for this uh, roundtable dialogue. Uh, see, and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the name, and it's staring back at me. Um, Poznanski, there it is. Okay, uh, I want I want to thank all of my guests, uh, Uvi Poznanski, uh, Poznanski, yes, because I am in Tennessee. Uh, Uvi Poznanski, Tom Barzak, Walter Rain, Janet Morris, and Chris Morris. Dear friends, thank you so much for making the time. Don't forget thank you. Thank you. you forgot Tom. Thank you so much. I did not. I got Tom Barzak in there. I totally. No, Janet Morris. Janet Morris. Tom. 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 There's two syllables in there. Tom. Barzak. Got it. <laughs> See, now we can. Thank you, Dave. You've been wonderful in, in leading the discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. I, I, thank I think you. there's there's a lot of uh, auditory gold and inspiration to be found in everything that, that's been said here. Dear friends, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, I, I hope you reaped a harvest of of writerly goodness and, and production goodness as you move forward and bring your stories into this marvelous new realm of of the new oral tradition uh do stay tuned the traditional roundtable podcast feed continues as normal we seize every tuesday and make it awesome with fabulous guest hosts courageous guest writers bringing their stories for workshopping and rest assured this is not the last time we'll be doing a roundtable dialogue i love these discussions and i think there's a lot to be gleaned from bringing these multiple perspectives together. We will see you in the regular feed. Until we speak again, you guys, you stay cool. You stay frothy. You stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
This episode of Roundtable Dialogues is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative works. Just make sure you release it under the same licensing terms and cite the Roundtable Podcast as the source. We'd like to thank our panel of guests for this Roundtable Dialogue, Uvi Poznanski, Tom Barzak, Walter Rain, and Janet and Chris Morris, for their generosity both of their time and of their insights and experience. Your contributions made this an outstanding dialogue. Keep your ear to the Roundtable feed for more dialogues coming in the future. But until then, thanks for listening.